everyone. Welcome to the unofficial Unreal Engine podcast, where we talk about Unreal Engine and lots and lots and lots of butter. We're your hosts. My name's Alex. My name's Jacob. And uh, today we're really just catching up. We have a ton of stuff. Alex and I have really only, I mean, we only, we, we've purposefully not recapped any of it, honestly, uh, just for the content. Um, but we had a few eventful weeks here. Alex, do you want to kind of sum that up? Yeah, I mean, we're both wearing um, the same shirt right now uh, from Unreal Fest. We actually did not see a lot of each other during Unreal Fest. Yeah. The original goal was like, we're going to have a bunch of interviews and we're going to sit down with a ton of people. And it was such a busy uh, four, th three, four days, whatever it was, that um, really we were on totally different paths. So part of what we're going to do today is recap that. Um, also, I was in Korea for a week, and uh, I'm sure Jacob's been doing exciting things during that as well. Um, I have uh, a MetaQuest Pro now. Oh, yeah, and, I want to uh, talk about that for sure. RTX 48, uh, 4090, and there's all sorts of things to talk about. So this is going to be kind of a, a free-for-all, just you know what we're excited to talk about. The whole goal of the podcast originally was, hey, Jacob, I'm really excited about this thing. Can we talk about it? And Jacob's saying, like, yeah, let's do that and also record it. So here we are. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, the, the first thing to talk about, of course, is, I mean, the felt like kicked it all off was Unreal Fest. I mean, that mm -hmm. was that was an awesome event. Um, it was in New Orleans for those mm -hmm. who who didn't hear about it or uh, maybe have watched some of the sessions online. Um, it was it was my first time in New Orleans. Um, Me too. And so that was an experience in itself. I, I felt like I got out and, and tried to see as much as I can, ate lots of butter, which is, you know, <laughs> the segue we chose for this episode. But um, it, it was, yeah, it, it was super eventful. It was four day, right? Like we were there for about four days. Yeah, we, and I have to say, thank you, Jacob, for taking care of me from the airport. I was on the phone with a client, like trying to gather my bags and, and he like got me into a vehicle with all my stuff. Like, I had two uh, big giants. An Escalade pulled up. I just stopped a minute, you know, tossed all him and all his VR gear and just strained the car. Yeah, so we got in early Monday morning. Uh, Monday was just kind of like a registration day. And then it was like three jam-packed days of, of sessions and events and stuff around New Orleans. So uh, it was a blast. Yeah, it really was. Um, and, I, I, you know, it kicked off the first day. And we got, it was, I was like, it was like 8 or 9 p.m. Um, and we had like a registration event, you know, with some drinks or whatever. And I think at that event, I ran into more people <laughs> than I have since COVID started. It yeah. was just a ton of people who either I had only seen online, like only met online, or I had seen them at an Unreal event, you know, prior to COVID and it just hadn't seen them since. Um, so that was just really awesome, honestly. I, I had a great time that first night just catching up with people and, and I don't know, it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it really felt like... Um, uh the first real community gathering in in a long time i mean the last time anything like this happened that i think you and i were both at of course was um dev days in 2019 which was a relatively small new york city only event yep. and there were maybe you know 50 at most 100 people there and yep. i think there were over 2000 people at unreal fest in new orleans and, and they had to cap like the said, registration yeah 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 exactly they sold out and um, it was people from all over the world, all these incredible communities, people who make YouTube tutorials and work in incredible studios and are part of Epic themselves. And um, just what a blast to hang out with all these these living legends, as we might say. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I felt like I met, met a lot of people 
I, I told you this a bunch. Like, I felt like I was walking around and just like I recognized someone and be like, oh, I watched actually a, an Unreal <laughs> tutorial from them, you know, like eight years ago. And that's why I recognize them. Um, it was cool. It was really cool to see all those people in one place. Um, and also just a, a lot of new faces. I, I One thing I did notice, uh, even that first night, is that the majority of people I spoke to were not even games people. Like right. you, you would join a conversation and be like, oh, what do you do? What do you do? And then there'd be that one guy's like, oh, yeah, I'm in games. And everyone would just like ignore that guy. Like, oh, <laughs> what, what is that guy doing here? You know, like, whereas, you know, that that is not what it would have been, um, you know, three, four years ago, even. Um, yeah. What so, were some of the sessions that stood out to you, Jacob? Man, I, I think the thing is, every time I went to a session, it was always, man, I could go to that session or these other three that I also want to see. So I felt like I actually ended up just making way too many compromises in terms mm -hmm. of all the stuff that I wanted to see versus what I got to see. Um, I saw a few, I, I went to a bunch of sessions about you know virtual production and media entertainment because that's kind of my work domain. So I had to kind of justify the expense of the trip by <laughs> you know coming back with relevant information. Like if I came back with a bunch of like Unreal Engine tips, like you told me about Chris Murphy's talk, which yeah. I, I need to watch now. If I had just come back with Unreal tips, people would have not been that excited and been like, okay, Jacob, like we, we paid for a fly, we paid for a hotel, like maybe you should come back with more of that. So I ended up in a lot of virtual production, media entertainment stuff. That said, there were some really cool things. It Just like we kind of talked about on our one of our previous episodes with virtual production, everyone's really just figuring this stuff out. Yeah, like I, I don't think anyone kind of has the full scope yet. Um, to the point where you know people in, in the middle of talk are being like, "We don't really have the tooling or the pipelining necessary to do this, this, and this." Like, when that happens, then like we can do this, you know. Um, and that honestly, that was kind of cool to some extent. It was cool to see, you know, that this industry is is or kind of watch this grow. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. I went to a few talks. I went to one talk on geospatial computing, like the cesium folks, um, a few guys from, um, you know, kind of the surrounding industries and a company called Maxar, who, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't know by name, but, you know, they do satellite imagery for like, they did satellite imagery for Google Earth. So, you know, they operate satellites, which is wow. like a whole nother <laughs> level of infrastructure, which I thought was fascinating. Um, and yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed that one as well. Um, yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, there was just so much that I wish I had seen. And I'm, I, I need to find the time to sit down and watch more YouTube videos. You know? Yeah. How about you? Oh, um, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I should say it. Uh, first time I'm saying this out loud. I didn't go to any talks. Oh, you didn't go to one. What I did end up doing was um, I, I kind of boxed myself into a corner by uh, volunteering to be a, an assistant for almost all the labs. Like throughout the three days, there were labs happening all the time. And I knew the labs were the only things that wouldn't be recorded. They were these live yeah. like sessions with about 30 minutes. And um, anyone who is coming into Unreal Fest as a speaker through, you know, um, a more internal part of Epic Games um, wasn't given a chance to sign up for any of those. And I was like, oh, I wanted to go to the pixel streaming one and the stuff on the collaborative viewer template and all these different sessions. And ultimately, um, I, I saw when they asked for volunteers that that was a way that I could get into all those sessions. But it meant that my days were just full of helping out with the labs. And in some cases, it's like, oh, I don't actually know that topic very well. If I'm going to be helping out people in the room on it, I should probably uh, learn a little more about that. 
Um, but the nice thing I think that came out of uh, both being a speaker and then being so involved with the labs was getting the, the blue shirt that anyone who is watching the video can see. Um, this blue shirt is not like an indicator of like internal representative of Epic. It just meant like, you know, someone who is at Unreal Fest who needs to be able to get wherever they need to go isn't going to need to wait in line, just can get into whatever room they need to for tech checks and all that. Yeah. Um, Jacob, how did you end up with that? Yeah, that's, that's the question, right? How, how do I have a blue shirt? Because, uh, you know, I, I, I did do some instructing for Epic and I'm no longer doing that. So you might be wondering, hey, Jacob, did you steal one? Well, kind of, but, <laughs> um, you know, Alex was TAing all these sessions and I guess you ran into some issue. You had a call or something. Yeah. And I don't know who you asked, but they let me sub in as a TA <laughs> for one of, one of the courses uh, with uh, Ed, um, man, Ed Bennett. Ed Bennett. Yeah. Who's awesome, by the way. He did yeah. a course on um, procedural geometry and I subbed in and I had a great time, honestly. Oh, I good. had a great time because it was cool to kind of be back in that mode you know, running around kind of helping people with the engine. That's the kind of thing that I, I miss about being an instructor is, you know, being hands on and, and, you know, kind of helping guiding people through this kind of journey with Epic or, you know, Unreal Engine. So I really enjoyed that. And I got to keep the blue shirt. Um, <laughs> they still stopped me at the border, so to speak. You know, there's like there was a another there. It, it was another two tier. levels. <laughs> yeah. So like there was a bottom level, then there was a second level where all the like um talks were then there was a top level with the um hands-on lessons yeah. and to get to the top level because all the hands-on courses you had to like reserve a space at um you couldn't go up unless you were registered for it right um so i got to the top and i was like oh i'm taing a course you know they i have the blue shirt you know i, I ran down they were very nice at, at the desk downstairs they're like we're gonna take you on your word which was very nice. They didn't have to do that. Um, and then I got up and they said, no, your pass still says attendee. We can let you up. So Alex had to come save me. But that is how I got the blue shirt. And I made sure to kind of uh, let everyone, everyone know that I had a blue shirt after that. You know, I kind of had to make sure everyone was aware that I had joined, you know, the upper <laughs> echelon of Unreal, Unreal Fest attendees. Um, but yeah, I had a great time. I had a really yeah. great time. I, I'm sad to hear that you didn't get to any talks, though. Yeah, I mean, I've been catching up on them. Um, I'll, I'll bring that up in a moment. I do want to yeah. say, though, just like it was super kind of Jacob to, to sub in for me because I was in a, a real pickle. I committed to, to seeing <laughs> one of these courses and really had a, an important client call at that time I couldn't get out of. And so they were frantically trying to find someone else who could sub in, but we were pretty uh, stretched thin. And so I was like, look, Jacob, he's an Unreal Engine authorized instructor. You know, he's good people. I can vouch for him. And uh, eventually we did get all the proper approvals for, <laughs> for him coming in. So it all worked out great. Um, I have been watching now that a bunch of the Unreal Fest videos have made their way to YouTube. I have been watching a bunch of them and they're excellent. Yeah. I love everything there. And um, I could recommend a whole bunch of different ones based on different industries people are interested in. But certainly uh, the one that's just a great catch all for uh, everyone that uh, Jacob already alert, alluded to comes yeah. from our good friend, Chris Murphy, who I got to meet for the first time over there. And yes, the, the talk is called 35 UE5 features you probably don't know about. Yeah. And there's probably actually like 75 and it's just like <laughs> rapid fire. It's 50 minutes of like this feature, this feature, this feature. Yeah. And I knew maybe like 20% of them, but then the rest He's, was like, yeah. holy cow, that would have saved me so much time. There's a few of these videos on YouTube of like, 
the evangelist team just going out and just it'll just blow your if, if you're like a, a dedicated unreal engine user it'll just be like 45 minutes of you sitting there being like you know with your jaw dropped like i had no clue like <laughs> <laughs> it's just totally not obvious that you can do these things um and chris murphy's awesome yeah i got to chat with him a, a little bit and he was saying that with that presentation he he had a hard time because he's usually used to being very hands-on and for that presentation he had to do everything through slides and he was all thrown off but i haven't i haven't watched it yet but I, i've heard it's great he did a great job um this might have been fixed by the time anyone uh sees this video unless you're watching it live on twitter right now if you go to the actual unreal engine page there's a bit of a problem with the video where the video is mostly on chris during the video so you don't actually see the slides but he was also part of the full live stream so if you find i think it's day two of the live stream that in that big giant eight hour chunk if you navigate to the part where chris is speaking it is actually just showing his slides um during that presentation you so you both. can get all that meaty goodness there yeah that's awesome i yeah. so what else has been your favorite from those um uh i mean i, I could mention a bunch but i like i'm afraid that it's going to be too um nitty gritty i mean i i can say by the way that i really was hoping there'd be more uh vr content yeah in real fest uh the collaborative viewer template was a lab that i was originally going to give i handed it off to simon blakeney uh who's a, a wonderful technical account manager over there so we did a little bit of vr stuff as part of that lab um i know there was an ar talk that i haven't gotten a chance to check out yet um but then yeah i mean, I, I guess i haven't even really said directly yet i gave a talk about virtual reality it was called open xr in ue5 and um, certainly between all the labs I was TAing and preparing for that two hour talk, uh, which was like a, a giant marathon yeah. speaking, there was just not a lot of time for me to like sit down and relax and enjoy everyone else's presentations. So that's another reason why I was a little too busy during the week. Yeah, you, you, your talk was, was great. I, I only got to the first half because uh, I ran right after lunch because A, I was like about, I, I was exhausted. <laughs> Yeah. by the time we got to that last day and i had to like run to like see someone you know see someone off but man i really enjoyed the first half and it seemed like everyone was super excited to like have a vr talk like people yeah. were like where's the vr content and yeah I, i'm happy that you kind of got to fill that role and be the vr guy at, <laughs> at unreal fest yeah which is tricky because kind of like with this podcast as well it's very it's very tough to also toe that line between saying like I do work for Epic and I teach for Epic and I know all these things uh, about how to use Unreal Engine well. I am not an official representative of Epic. So when you get people asking like very direct questions yeah, about like, like, when will this feature be released? And it's like, I can speculate, but I, yeah. I don't know. So it's it's tough to remind people that like, I'm just a fan of the engine, just like you. <laughs> yeah. um, but the talk did go very well in the, in the second half in particular, we really dove deep into some things I didn't expect to, like the, the new enhanced input system, which is a wonderful uh, new way of, especially if you want to migrate your inputs from one Unreal Engine project to another, they're all .uasset files now. So you're no longer going wow. into a, in any file and like modifying all the text there and like, oh, I want to keep these inputs, but add these other new ones. You can just be like, hey, I'm migrating this one blueprint as part of this blueprint, there's a whole bunch of inputs, and those are all uasset files, and they'll all come along with it, and that's really nice. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. Honestly, I haven't like had a chance to dive into that, but I, I there's so much that I was like, oh man, I wish like I want to get into that, I want to try that. Oh man, yeah. yeah. 
But um, that talk has not been posted yet. I heard they're releasing the talks in order, and I was the very last session as part of a very weird time slot because my talk was an hour and then a lunch break and then the other hour and then Unreal yeah. Fest was over, uh, which actually worked out well because I just stayed in my room for another hour and a half after that and gave demos and then got taken to a, a secret demo. Someone actually pulled me into the Hilton Hotel later and showed me something that blew my mind. Really? And I hope that we get to talk about it on a future episode of the podcast. Mm -hmm. But that was like a really nice treat. I got to have the secret demo and then like rushed off to the airport and then just had that to think about on my uh, my way to Korea. Wow, yeah. that's that's a, a real like uh, um, tease, teaser. Man. I want to hear about that. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds cool. Yeah, that's man, really where, where do I get? you know, get dragged into that's not awesome. <laughs> anyways. I guess so <laughs> what else did you do in New Orleans? I, I I saw you the first night. Yeah. What else did you get up to? Um, there was a really nice little partner mixer, just a whole bunch of um unreal people that I've I've become a fan of over the past few years. There's yeah. one guy um named Arturo Brena, I think is the, his last name. He runs um a, a really cool studio in New York as well. I saw him for the first time um because he was giving a talk during an Unreal Engine broadcast event I was teaching at. Um, a few months ago. And he's one of these people that's still fairly new to Unreal Engine, but really dove in. He had a, a film called Thief that uh, he made as part of the fellowship and he was showing that at Unreal Fest. And my kids love his little short film and we've been talking for a while about what makes it special. So he's a very cool guy because his background is primarily broadcast and he's coming into Unreal Engine from that. And he's interested in making more cinematic uh, experiences, more hands-on and, and virtual reality and interactive. And then I'm coming more from that world and I'm looking at a lot of the content I'm doing and also saying like, hey, it would kind of be nice if this could be more cinematic and wouldn't it be nice to have like live streams that look great in addition to the more, uh, you know, virtual reality slash interactive versions. So we've yeah. been having these really nice conversations over the past couple months. We also keep seeing each other at different events, SIGGRAPH and, and AWE and what have you. So uh, that's been a, a really fun discussion. And just goes back to what you're saying, Jacob, about like the breadth of people who are at Unreal Fest, because I think one of the reasons why it's such a wonderful community is everyone has a certain level of humbleness because everyone is still kind of a beginner to this engine. It's so hard to ever be a quote unquote expert because there's so many features and they're evolving all the time and things are getting better and there's new ways to do things. And so just to be able to talk to anyone that is exploring the engine and can talk about their background and what they were doing before Unreal Engine is always super exciting. And there's so many yeah. people that I would love to work with or just talk more or bring on our podcast here. So 100%. Yeah. I, yeah, I spent uh, I spent some time with um, uh, the folks at, at TensorWorks who yeah. I, who are uh, based in Australia. So they came they came all the way to the, to the US for the conference. And that was really awesome. I'm hoping they'll come on the podcast at some point. Um, but I, I ended up spending a lot of the the evenings with uh, them and some of the other cloud folks just kind of having a good time. I had I saw some awesome music. We ran into um, the uh, the lead um, audio engineer. Uh, what's his name? Uh, it's like Aaron or oh man, this is going to kill me. <laughs> uh, we ran into him at a at a jazz club oh. <laughs> downtown. I like you know, 11 p.m. And we ended up striking up a conversation about audio and Unreal Engine, like in this jazz club, which was just awesome, right? Like that's the best, the best <laughs> possible scenario, right? You, you get, you walk into a club, you have a drink, you listen to some awesome music, and then you, you can just talk about Unreal, you know, yeah. like what else? I, I also ended up in a jazz club um, yeah. and uh, 
what a what a awesome part of New Orleans, just the music out there and the food. Um, and uh, yeah, I wish I, I got to spend more time in the city because I I was mostly just in the convention hall yeah. and then like little tiny things out at night. Um, I'm also embarrassed to say I missed the big uh, Mardi Gras esque parade. Yeah. What, what you were you had something to do on a deadline or something? That I mean, that was the the yeah, day yeah, yeah. before my talk, and I I hadn't done nearly as much work on it as mm. I as I uh, had planned on doing by that point. So I, I was like, I just I don't deserve the festivities right now. I have to put my oh, head. Oh man, and get this it was stuff. it was a good time. It was a good yeah. time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so Fortnite money is good money. You know, that's that's <laughs> the thing. It's like, it's it's always going to be big. It's going to be a ton of nerds, and it's 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 always a good time. It's always yeah. a good time. Man. All right. So <laughs> that was unreal. I mean, that's a really just a pretty brief recap of Unreal Fest, but what like what was your key takeaways from the week? Like what what give me one or two things that you felt were you know really impactful about that time. Uh the key takeaways for me were that everyone wants to help. Everyone is eager to uh hear about anything you're working on and how they could work together to make it better. I mean, to bring up the TensorWork folks for example, like I was peeking into that lab session because I was TAing another one, but then talking to to Luke and some of those folks afterwards, I've now had all these great follow-up conversations with them and we're we're discussing all these new features that we could either add to the official Unreal Engine Pixel streaming plugin or start to uh potentially do as like a like a fork of their GitHub or something like that. And uh, there's a number of instances of that of just people who realized that there was some way I could help them or they could help me and um, it's just all about that that community building so to see all these people in person especially how many of them I had met before but only in a virtual capacity uh, you know I'm, I'm someone who's a big fan of virtual reality but there's nothing that quite replaces those face-to-face -face meetings so that was yeah. really um, quite lovely to me I also want to give one more shout out to um, the Corey's uh, Corey uh, Straussberger from Kite and Lightning and Corey Williams, who's an OG YouTube star, both of whom are doing really exciting work with um, virtual production and digital humans. And, you know, Corey um, uh, Straussberger was recently featured on, on an Unreal Engine case study for his YouTube series Xanadu, which is an, a breathtaking feat of, of one man doing every part of like a digital short kind of thing, episode after episode. And uh, Corey Straussberger has a, a new company called Taiyaki Studios, which is trying to develop digital characters for people to bring across different platforms, including Unreal Engine. And the efforts that I've seen both of them putting into showing what's possible with a small budget or you know one person on a team or a very small team to uh, generate really compelling content is just so exciting to me. For, for anyone that has storytelling ambitions to start to see Unreal Engine is a one-stop shop for expressing yourself in whatever crazy, wacky way you might see fit. Um, that's something that I, I really came away from Unreal Fest thinking like, wow, uh, these tools just keep yeah. getting better. And yeah, between between the tools themselves and the community of people who want to help everyone learn those tools, I just feel like we're in a time uh, of an embarrassment of riches, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah honestly. I felt like I... The, the biggest thing that I walked away with was is uh, that this thing is just moving faster than like any of us can fathom. Um, you know, it feels like every time you log in and, and you look or you look at, you know, the, the Unreal Engine, like Git repo or whatever, like so much has changed. Yeah. And there's so much new stuff and there's so many cool things going on that like it's just 
Like it's getting away from everyone. Like there, there are very, I would imagine very few people who still have like a full picture of everything that's going on inside this community, inside of even inside just like the technical parts of this. Like, I, I think it's just nuts to kind of witness. Um, and I, and I really got the feeling that a lot of people there compared to kind of the sorts of, you know, kind of vendor specific conferences that you might see elsewhere. Like everyone was having a great time because a, they don't have to pay for unreal engine. Like that's like, I, I think we really kind of underestimate how big an effect that has. Like everyone there is choosing to use unreal engine because they like it, you know, whether or not they can afford it, you know, maybe they're starting a business based on it. It doesn't matter. Like everyone there enjoys working in this tool and no one like you, it, it wasn't like gate kept, you know, like <laughs> anyone can kind of participate. And that's, that's a huge deal because then you just see all sorts of interesting people and like you, you get a chance to just, yeah, this thing just accelerates in a crazy way, which I think is one of the brilliant things that, you know, Epic did with Unreal Engine. Just the, the fact that they made that commitment and have kept to it is huge. Um, I think the other big thing is that, you know, like I said at the beginning, and like we mentioned a couple of times, that Unreal Engine is like, it's not a, it's calling it a game engine and kind of <laughs> bucketing it to games is funny now, right? Like, yeah. because it's really so much more than that. Like there, there's, I mean, I would assume, and I think they throw this up on a slide at like the keynote that 55 to 65% of the licensees or something or something like that are for games mm -hmm. and that might sound like oh that's that's a lot but no that's it's a game like <laughs> if you looked at this you know 10 years ago it would have been you know 89 90 95 percent you know um so unreal engine really isn't a game engine it, it's something else right and and it's really kind of fascinating to see that um yeah th th those were my key takeaways yeah Pretty cool event. I hope they do it again. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I'm, sh I'm sure they will. Honestly, I, I think everyone had such a, a valuable time there. Um, One funny, uh, quick last observation about everyone on the the staff and speaker side was the the frantic, um, holy cow! Unreal Engine Preview One just dropped. I guess we better try to include some 5.1 content in a talk yeah. that I originally created for 5.0. And then the first day of Unreal Fest, Unreal 5.1 Preview 2 came out. Yeah, and so yeah, now yeah. everyone's like, oh, I was going to give a live demo. Do I try to upgrade to Preview 2? Is it going to be yeah. more stable? Is it going to crash? Um, that was just a, a hilarious oh, um, scampering going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Man. All right. We, we better keep <laughs> moving here because we got a lot to talk about. We have All a right. lot to talk about. Um, Okay, so tell me about Korea. So you flew yeah. pretty much straight from New Orleans to Korea. Tell I me what that was it. about. So um, I was invited uh, very generously a few months ago to be the the guest of honor, the, the international speaker extraordinaire for an event called the Seoul Performing Arts Festival, which takes place every year. It's the biggest um, live arts event that happens in Korea. It takes place over a month. There's all sorts of live shows and talks and workshops. And um, originally, I thought the idea was that I was just going to go for a little talk. Great, fantastic, no problem at all. Uh, but then as the discussions went on and there's some you know, translating going on during this, I, I, I thought that 
words were being used interchangeably to, to suggest like, yes, we want you to give a talk. What I eventually realized is there were actually three things they wanted me to do. Uh, give an hour and a half long talk with 30 minutes of Q&A, give a big demo showcase of a bunch of the you know Unreal Engine VR projects with live event theater stuff going on in them, and then also give a two-day workshop in <laughs> using Unreal Engine for uh, performing arts which was quite the task, especially because since I was there as um, Alex Coulomb and, and Agile Lens and not as uh, Alex Coulomb, Unreal Engine Authorized Instructor, I couldn't use any of the training content as part of that two-day workshop that I had developed as part of the, the work I do for Epic. So it was a very uh, frantic, like on the plane, trying to decide if I was gonna fall asleep or, or work on all the different content that needed to happen there. Uh, we were also trying to figure out if we were going to use some cloud streaming through uh, Jacob's company, CoreWeave, because we knew that it could work okay um, in terms of if the internet was fast enough in Korea, we could hit like our New York servers and have something going on, but we weren't sure if we had people in VR, if the latency would yeah. be too much. Um, but we did find in the end that um, while VR was a little bit tricky, we were able to get away with pixel streaming through a browser and that all worked out really well. But the short version is that I was there for eight days and um, for three of those days, I have almost no memory of what was going on because every second of the day was planned and I had a translator the whole time. And as anyone who's ever spent any time with me or listened to this podcast knows, I have a tendency to speak very fast because I get very excited and very enthusiastic. And I was painstakingly speaking as slow as I possibly could. could so my poor translator um, didn't have a conniption trying to keep up with me. <laughs> so it, it's funny because like the talk I gave that was an hour and a half long probably would have been like a 40 minute talk if I was speaking at my normal speed. But I was there like pausing between each word, giving an extra pause after each sentence. Yeah. And uh, it was it was painful for the keynote. When I was giving the workshops, it wasn't actually so bad. I thought that actually worked out really well because the pauses that I had to give after like, okay, everyone, open up a blueprint, create a new custom event called dampen camera, whatever. The pause that I would take there to let this, the translator do their work was actually great because it helped pace everyone as they went through um, creating everything. And during the workshops, we talked about um, the remote control API, uh, virtual reality uh, template, the collaborative viewer template, because that's a great out of the box multiplayer solution. We talked about metahumans. We showed, uh, or I showed everyone how they could scan someone um, and then uh, bring that into MetaHuman Creator through Mesh to MetaHuman, the plugin, and then start controlling that with LiveLink Face. So I tried to give like a nice smorgasbord of all these different workflows um, of how Unreal Engine could be used in different contexts. And what was nice, because some Unreal Engine users there were more advanced than others, I would be giving these lessons, but then every 30 minutes or so, I would take a pause and go around the room and check in with everyone. And I made it very clear, like if what I'm teaching right now isn't super relevant to the work you're doing, work on your own thing, and then we'll talk about that. So it was about 50-50, about half of everyone who I spoke to uh, had questions about what I was showing on screen and wanted to understand that better. The other 50% were like, hey, I'm trying to make um, this live performance cat, dog, rabbit <laughs> experience. Um, do you have any idea why my animation blueprint isn't behaving the way I think it should? And so I would just kind of you know, sit yeah, down. That's tough. That's, like, that's tough to pick up people's projects though, right? Like yeah. But, you know, I, I kind of love that too. Like for, you know, the Unreal uh, Authorized Instructor program, 
uh, with instructor-led training, you know, we have all these, these courses that we teach, but then also we do these Q&A sessions. And the Q&A sessions are terrifying and really fun because they're unstructured. It's kind of just... Right. You know, people come into their questions and just ask them. And then for two hours, you're just doing your best to respond and saying like, oh, I really don't know the answer to that, but like, I'll try to get back to you. Or you're saying, I really don't know the answer to that, but let's see if we can solve it together right now in the moment, uh, which is always a fun challenge. Like, you know, at what point are you uh, showing a good process for troubleshooting and, and trial and error? Yeah. And at what point is it like, okay, we just worked on this for 30 minutes and got nowhere. We need to move on. Yeah. That I, I remember when I was teaching courses, like, I mean, if I, cause I, I, I taught a lot of courses on blueprints, like occasionally you're going to hit a point while you're presenting usually where it's like, something's not working. I don't know why. And like, I always had a backup project on my computer. You know, you, that's the classic thing, right? You, you save off a copy at different stages so that if you fuck up, you know, you can just kind of get to that next checkpoint. But I would try and on the fly kind of evaluate and be like, okay, like what can I do to troubleshoot? Like how can I kind of teach them good practices? Because there are a lot of troubleshooting tips or, or you know, tools built into Unreal with like the debugger system and, uh, you know, kind of doing step throughs and stuff like that. and. It's a pretty powerful system that people just don't know how to use because it's easier just to print to the screen, right? Like, it's just easier. Um, but, you know, every, every once in a while, you'll be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try and go through this. 15, 20 minutes later, we make it. And then I would always, almost always get a comment of them like, I'm so glad you walked through that. Like, that's going to save me so much time next time I run into an issue. So mm -hmm. I, I think if you can do that, like, that's always going to kind of pay off for for everyone, honestly, like, you get to kind of refine the practice of troubleshooting, while also teaching someone else, like, what your mental thought process is of getting through an issue, right? Yeah. Something else that was cool about some of the attendees of the workshop was uh, some of them were, you know, just starting out in Unreal Engine for the first time. Some of them had been doing it for seven or eight years, like longer than me. And some of them were trying to understand how they could use Unreal Engine as in terms of budgeting for like a very large project and hiring people. So yeah. I had one choreographer coming to speak to me afterwards about a dance piece they're putting together. And they were trying to wrap their head around the costs they should budget for, you know, doing the thing they wanted to do. And I was throwing out some numbers thinking like, oh, you know, I know how tough it is in the arts, like budgets are always yeah. low and tight. And she's like, oh, what you're saying is very inexpensive. And I was like, oh, well, ideally it would be, you know, three times the number I just said. She said, that is still very inexpensive. And I'm like, oh, yeah. my God. Like, what I hire me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's nice to imagine that Unreal Engine could start to be used in very high production value, um, you know, performance art, as, as yeah. I don't think is happening very much right now. The closest thing you might see is like a live concert but um dance theater things like that uh tend not to have that happening as much so it's, it's cool to think there could be more of that on its way yeah for sure so i saw at one point you were giving a talk in like a some sort of yeah. silo like <laughs> yeah. what was that about it was really cool um yeah and i should show some pictures of the different places i was at so everything that i was doing for the soul performing arts festival was in a place called um the oil drum event center or something like that or the oil drum arts house and they're literally these giant freaking oil drums that are decommissioned and repurposed to be these event spaces so the first one where i was giving um my my showcase and my talk in 
uh, they just converted it all to like concrete and glass. And that one's like beautiful and steel. And yeah. then the one I was giving the workshop in, I think they left it all as this like original, you know, copper metal. Yeah. And um, the acoustics, the the feeling of the spaces was was super cool. And I loved uh, being inside spaces like that while while speaking. Similarly, because in addition to those spaces, there were so many awesome things I saw while in Seoul. I found that less so than trying to take pictures of things, I was using apps on my phone like uh, yeah. Reality Capture and Polycam and Sightscape and actually creating you know digital twins of as much as I could. Uh, I went to visit Lotte Concert Hall, which was actually the very first theater I worked on. And Lotte Concert Hall is right next to this giant shopping complex and, and Lotte Tower, which is the fifth uh, tallest building in the world. And in the shopping complex, they had like a Studio Ghibli store with like a <laughs> cat bus and all that. So there's so many things where it's like, okay, I'll take a picture, but then I'll spend like two extra minutes just walking around this thing and scanning yeah. it. And then um, I did a lot of that before I was done teaching my workshop. So then the next day I came into the workshop and I'd inserted all these things from like the Korean C Contemporary Art Museum and things <laughs> I saw on the street and this yeah. you know, 2000 year old palace. And I put all that in Unreal Engine and then let people like walk around in VR and see this mishmash of all these different parts of the city, which really uh, blew people away. And also I think just created a very nice capstone of my trip. Yeah, that's also, that's, yeah, that's like a good souvenir, right? I, yeah. Have you seen the stuff that like uh, Luma AI is doing? Yeah. Yes, I tried to use Luma AI while over there. Yeah. I could never quite get the number of like circulations around something as it yeah. wanted, but I, I really want to play with it more. It seems super cool. Have you? I, I have not tried it yet. Um, it's I think it's very cool. Um, I, the results I've seen have been really interesting. Um, obviously, like you feel like you're always getting something that's cherry picked when it comes yeah. to scanning. Like scanning is is tough. Um, but it's the results I have seen, like have handled things that other things have not like, you know, glass and one, uh, I saw one capture of like a fire, you know, like a fire pit yeah. standing around it, which usually, you know, would be nonsense, right? You, <laughs> you would get a scan and it'd probably be some huge blown out blob in the center because a fire just emits ton of, you know, light of all spectrum and it's just going to mess with anything. Right. Uh, but no, it's like you spun around and yeah, it was like, it didn't look like a perfect cartoon fire, but it was, it was contained and it looked nice. Um, so I, I've been very impressed with, with the results I've been seeing there, but, and there's just so many cool projects kind of like that AI enabled everything um, that I, I think is fascinating. And I'll, I'll actually probably throw out uh, one during our, our, our shout outs later. So we'll, oh, cool. we'll, get, to, we'll get to that, but yeah, I, I think that's so cool. So what, what are you scanning with when you're just walking around? Just my iPhone, just an iPhone 12 Pro Max and um, an you know, trying to keep a battery with me so it doesn't die. Yeah. I, I didn't have a SIM card most of the time I was there. So uh, I was really at the the whim of whatever public Wi-Fi I was getting. So you're just, you're just taking pictures and then you put it in... What? Yeah, so the different apps work in different ways. So, and I, I we should draw a, a slight distinction here between yeah. like LIDAR and photogrammetry and NERFs, uh, neural radiance fields. Um, I think Luma yeah. AI actually uses NERFs, but um, is, things yeah. like Polycam, they can use like the LIDAR sensor on the back of like an iPhone and it'll actually mesh geometry in real time. It tends not to be 
super accurate, but it's a great way to get like the basic dimensions of whatever object or space you're walking around. Um, then yeah, things like Sitescape will create like a point cloud and that can also be meshed if you want to, or you leave it as a point cloud. And then things like um, Polycam can also allow you to take a whole bunch of photos, which is classic photogrammetry. And then you can upload all those photos to the cloud and then it processes them all and spits back out a 3D model where if you did a good job and your photos weren't blurry and you got enough angles, you can get like a mwah, chef's kiss, very beautiful 3D model of a space or an object. And um, for the most part, yeah, that's what I was trying to do whenever I could. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, just an aside, a uh, side story. We were opening a new office um, in Jersey and we have this bright blue wall. And I, when I walked in, I was like, oh, this is perfect. So I brought out my phone. I opened up Skyglass, which I think we talked about yeah. in the episode. <laughs> I opened up Skyglass and our, I had our CEO standing like next to the wall. <laughs> I was showing everyone, hey, this, you know, this is being pixel streamed and we're getting this awesome. And it worked great. It was, it was yeah. super cool. Sorry. That, that, that's a side story that I, I love really it. have to bring up. But um, that's awesome. So, like, how did you enjoy South Korea? It was great. And, and unlike New Orleans, um, once I was done with my my talks and workshops, yeah. I actually did have a couple days to explore the city. And my hosts were so generous. Like anytime I wanted to go somewhere, they're like, we're happy to like send you a taxi and take you from point A to point B. And they gave me like a per diem. So I had cash all day to do different things. Um, but I got to go to a theater show, which was a, a dance piece. Um, using Rococo and, and motion capture and all that, which was super cool. Um, although funnily enough, uh, their Rococo suit was broken. I was supposed to bring our Rococo suit. Our Rococo suit was broken. Um, this oh, team is yeah. called Geoy Immersive and they do incredible immersive theater over there. Uh, I actually first heard about them because they translated a piece called Welcome to Respite, which is a beautiful VR chat, VR theater piece. And they took it from English and the Ferryman Collective who made it over on the West Coast in LA and made it work in Korean. Um, but they were a, a big help the entire time I was there. And the the food they took me out to was amazing. The theater show we saw was amazing. Just walking around Seoul as a city um, was incredible. Yeah. It, it's such a, a safe, comfortable walking city with a, a really diverse set of um, buildings and, and neighborhood feelings. And I just never had a dull moment. It was uh, a really good time. And, and I should say I never had a dull moment, but I also was able to just be like, I have an hour free now. I'm just going to walk that way for a bit and kind of see what I stumble upon. And yeah. uh, that was really lovely. <laughs> That's awesome. It's really cool. That's how I ended up at places like the Contemporary Art Museum, which were beautiful. And to scan a bunch of the pieces in there uh, was was also a blast. Some people saw me also taking some of the pieces and like using my phone, just starting to mix them all together. And they're like, how are you doing that right now? That seems impossible. <laughs> That's so. cool. That's cool. <laughs> awesome, man. So, okay. So how long were you there? You were there like a I was week? there for eight days. Yeah, yeah I just okay. got back um, uh, a week ago or almost uh, a little over a week ago, late Saturday night. And I'm almost back on east coast time not quite <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> oh i forgot to mention by the way when we were talking about um because I, I was about to segue to something else but yeah. i realized i forgot to bring up about unreal fest is that i tried tilt five ah good and it was awesome yeah. it was my i i had get you had told me about it and you know you you kind of sung its praises and i was excited to see it and it was awesome like i i, I want one right like I, I definitely I, want one. I love how um, Gorilla Rogue style uh, Tilt 5 is. Like, they did not have an official booth. 
at Unreal Fest, they had a guy, Ryan, who is just kind of going around and popping up in different places and like pulling out the Tilt 5 board and just giving demos, yeah. um, which I thought was delightful. And yes, Tilt 5 is amazing. Uh, Jerry Ellsworth, the CEO, is one of the smartest people I've ever met in the world. Um, the Unreal Engine plugin recently came out. I'm, I'm fortunate I've been beta testing it for a little while, and it is so plug and play. Like you drop the plugin yeah. in your Unreal Engine project, you open it up, your Tilt 5 acts the same way VR Preview does, and you can just see whatever's going on in your scene happening now on the board in front of you. It's a really cool yeah. device and uh, experience for, for augmented reality at a much wider field of view than what you would get with uh, Magic Leap or yeah. HoloLens. Wider field of view, and I, I really did not count on how big a deal it would be just to have natural occlusion with my hands. Yes, yeah. You, like, that. that's one of the things, like, in VR, you, you struggle to do that in pretty right. much every case. Like, it, it's an extremely complicated pr problem. I haven't tried the new, you know, uh, uh, meta headset, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's so complicated when you're in VR. And you have to account for so many things and it becomes difficult, especially if you want to do like AR, MR, you know, all that kind of stuff. You want natural occlusion. But it was just like, no, you just put the glasses on and like your hands are there. And, and it all of a sudden it just clicks. It, it's just awesome. Um, yeah. And, and for their target market, which I guess is primarily like, you know, tabletop gaming, I think it's just brilliant. Like, I mean, 100% I'd rather be doing that than a board game. And it's not uncomfortable. It's not heavy. You know, it, it just makes so much sense. It's... Yeah. And I love the way that they're they're very focused from a marketing angle on tabletop gaming, which I'm a huge fan of. I used to yeah. design board games in, in all of my free time back in the day. We could talk about that. Actually, funnily enough, the Actually, very first yeah. conversation I had with Jerry was I had no idea who she was, but she asked if she could interview me about some of the board games I made. And I'm like, sure, random lady. And I didn't know about Tilt 5 or any of her work. Uh, and that was a, a really cool introduction. But um, in addition to tabletop gaming, I think the device and the setup, it's so easy to look at it and also think like, oh, the utility here for ArcViz and looking at like yeah, a site model, um, the utility obvious, here yeah. for tabletop theater or looking at an automotive you know, design, whatever, um, is really endless. So I, I really wish them the best. And, and I have three Tilt 5s here at my house. And so I'm looking forward yeah, to- send me one. Sorry? If you want. Someone can send me a Tilt 5 if they want. Ooh, cool. I, I can, I will accept one. <laughs> I don't I don't have enough followers though. So if, <laughs> if you know, if you want me to have a Tilt 5, follow me on Twitter. Yes, and, uh, and make sure to send the board too, because I have three- sets of tilt five glasses but only one board so you know right now everyone has to gather around that single board that being said you yeah. can also buy like a very cheap retro reflective um material on like amazon or something i, I got some for twenty dollars hung it up on my wall and that and becomes just, yeah. this wonderful extension to um your tilt five gaming area so, um which by the way just to really quickly what jacob was saying about occlusion the way hand occlusion works is because projectors are coming out of the tilt five and they need to hit this surface in order to be displayed. So since your hand probably is not retroreflective, it just naturally blocks that that view. And um, it's just, there's your hands and there's the digital content behind it. It's so natural and doesn't take any extra processing power. So super cool. <laughs> makes so much sense. It just yeah. makes so much sense, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, the, it's such a clever invention. Uh, it, like retroreflectivity to, to think of using that, like that's so cool. Um, 
Yeah. And, anyway. and I encourage people to find like the podcast where Jerry goes into detail about all this. Like the short version is that this was something she did by accident while she was working at Valve on at first their VR initiatives. And she had some projectors that were in backwards. They were supposed to be going into her eyes and they went out and she saw it reflecting off of something. And, you know, the rest is history. So <laughs> pretty cool. So cool. Yeah. So to segue to what I was originally going to segue to, you have the new MetaQuest Pro. Yeah. I'm very Ooh. jealous of this also. Alex has all the cool toys. All the cool toys. Yeah, these these controllers are great. Um, they feel excellent. They're the most ergonomic VR controllers I've ever had. And they have like a little pen tip. This yeah. this little part here can yeah. um, twist off. I was very intrigued if it like actually made sense to use. I didn't think it would, but it actually feels like a big black magic marker version of like a Wacom because it, it's pressure sensitive. And basically once yeah. you have the, the pen tip in there, you don't have to worry about um, pressing any triggers or anything like that. You can just press on a table and start yeah. to draw in virtual reality or mixed reality where you still see the real world. And it feels really good. My my five-year-old made like a beautiful giant painting tonight in gravity sketch. That's awesome. And, um, my favorite thing to do is to take those kinds of concept drawings, tilt brush, gravity sketch, et cetera, and then bring that into Unreal Engine and it becomes kind of like 3D trace paper for yeah. then deciding what the, the more cool. refined version will be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it reminds me, uh, I think we talked about, um, actually, I can't remember where I heard about this, but I know I know you you were talking about at some point um, just about how in like tilt brush and all the like art, uh, the classic VR art programs, you know, there was like two or three things that everyone would do when they put on a headset and tilt brush. The one, the first thing that I saw was sign their name was right. one. Like they would either sign their name, they'd draw a smiley face, or they would just stand there frozen, like not knowing <laughs> what do I do. It was yeah. one of those, right? Like, and it never did I see someone just instantly start doing 3D everything. So I'm wondering if like this kind of interaction where mm -hmm. you know you have a pencil, something that you understand. Mm -hmm. And someone can just start using that if they see that as a way of kind of introducing people to VR in a in a way that makes more sense than tilt brush. Like yeah. for some people paying 20 bucks for tilt brush and then standing there and not really realizing the potential of it, unless there's someone to guide you, you know, that's tricky versus like if it comes with a little accessory, you put it on, you start drawing, you start writing. At some point, you're going to lift it up and you'll discover like, oh, man, this is all this can do. I think that's really cool. Yeah, you're you're triggering the part of me that always wants to rant about skeuomorphism and yeah. how, especially with these emerging mediums like virtual reality, there's certainly a benefit to starting with things that are familiar. You know, everyone knows how to use a pen or how to um, use a, a, a internet browser, um, which is great for introducing people to these worlds. But then at a certain point, someone like me who's been in VR for 10 years now gets very frustrated when something doesn't take more advantage of the possibilities of virtual space and the digital medium and stops at something like that. So like, I have no problem with starting with like, yes, let's draw on a real table with a real pen, but then you also have to like take advantage of being able to draw giant skyscrapers at scale and, and fly around and, you know, use all sorts of materials yeah. that would be impossible to use in the real world. So it, it can be both <laughs> ideally. So, okay. I, I, I watched some of your, your informal review of, of the MetaQuest Pro. <laughs> Give me some of your hot takes on, on this device. Like, what? Yeah, um, I can I can sum it up pretty easily. Uh, it's a beautiful device. It fits very comfortably. It's actually a great developer kit 
for both the future of wherever meta is going, but also augmented reality and mixed reality. I think anyone who's going to be doing something for Tilt 5 or magically for HoloLens, like this is a great place to start to prototype that because to me, the color pass-through cameras are totally serviceable for looking around your environment and placing digital content in it. Um, I was also making the observation the other night that if I'm trying to get some work done, I like to actually have my, my television on. And it's tricky if I'm doing that in full VR, because every time I put my VR headset on, yeah. I can't see my television. Alternatively, I've used plugins before where I'll put like Netflix on in VR, but I'm in and out of VR all the time. And I realized all of a sudden that the mixed reality pass through was good enough that I could just leave my television playing. And as I come in and out of VR, I could still like see enough of what was going yeah. on to feel like, okay, I'm not missing too much of the story. Um, so it's a comfortable headset. The battery life dies pretty quick. The controllers feel amazing. Yeah, I was shocked by that. You said it's like an hour and a half? Yeah, it's pretty quick. Um, and it depends, of course, what kind of application yeah, yeah. you're running. But the thing, the, the reason I have this, the main reason I got this is because um, some of those in our audience might know that I'm very excited about the future of metahumans and live performance and theater and all of that. And I wanted to see how well the the cameras that we probably can't see that are like on the inside of here, how good of a job they do at capturing your eye tracking and your mouth tracking uh, to translate that to a metahuman. And the answer is at the moment, there is no effort coming from Meta at all to make this work with a metahuman. There is an Unreal Engine sample project that requires the source build of Unreal 4.27. And there's something called the Movement SDK, um, which is different from the, the Meta Avatar SDK. And there's like a, a very generic alien um, avatar in there that actually to me had very impressive facial capture. I felt like a lot of subtle motion with my eyes and mouth uh, and whatnot were being captured there. Um, in addition to my, I could use hand tracking. I could use you know the controllers if I wanted to and get almost a, a valve index level of hand tracking. And it kind of knew what my upper body was doing, though we're nowhere near the point of like, we have legs yet. Yeah. And so I started down the path of trying to translate this over into uh, metahumans, but it's really like a backwards manual process. There's just no real connection between how metahumans yeah. work and how the meta SDK is working. So I'll get there. But for the moment, actually, I just have to give a shout out to HTC because this is my, my Vibe Focus 3 um, dev kit. And this also has like, of eye trackers and a little um, mouth tracker there. And this one actually is set up to work really well with MetaHumans and it goes through LiveLink and LiveLink is much easier to broadcast, say in a theater yep. event to many, many people. So for some stuff that, that I've got coming up in the next couple months, um, I was thinking I might be using the MetaQuest Pro and I might actually be using the, the Vive Focus 3. So we'll see yeah. how that goes. The Vive Focus 3 was a cool device. I, I got to try it once. Um, I, I thought it was pretty nice. I, I it didn't get the attention, obviously, that Meta did, but it, it really just seems Meta has dropped the ball on so much, and yeah. it's just shocking to me, honestly. I mean, the device seems really cool. Like what Meta has always done really well is their hardware. Um, you know, the 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 physical hardware is awesome. Like yes. they've done an exceptional job. The stuff that they they do with like AI, you know, inside out tracking and all that obviously has been a game changer for VR, you know, consistently. Um, but like back in the day, it felt like they were very tightly coupled with the community of developers. 
inside of Unreal and, and Unity and whereas it I I have not gotten that impression more recently. Or at least it seems that like I mean most of the folks that I knew there aren't there anymore. So maybe I mean I'm sure that's part of it. Um, but the stories I've had I have heard is that like besides like the link cable and some of the like kind of ease of use stuff, it hasn't progressed the way people kind of expected it to for, for such a big company. Yeah. And I mean, going back to our discussion about what a lovely event Unreal Fest was, I mean, that's how Oculus Connect used to feel yeah, back in yeah. the day. And now it's just a, a streaming event. I was very surprised by how wooden and overly scripted everything at, at Meta Connect was this year. I can't remember if we've already talked about I it. I couldn't even watch it. Yeah, I can't but, watch it. Yeah, yeah it, it just felt very like, and now we are going to present this. Isn't this great? Yes, it sure is, Mark. And um, I, I, there's no uh, real yeah. value to that for me. And so like exactly what you said, just to echo your sentiment, I think it's a, a incredible device. The hardware is there. The potential is all there. It's very poorly marketed. It's not worth $1,500 unless you're a dev who's really diving into uh, where all of this is going to be. I think the MetaQuest 2 Pro or MetaQuest Pro 2 will be a, a bit of a game changer, especially because by that point, they'll be using an actually new mobile chipset. Right now it's using the, the Qualcomm Snap, Snapdragon XR2 Plus, which is actually, as far as I know, exactly the same chip as before with the Quest 2. It's just like overclocked or properly. Probably more power, yeah. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably why it dies so fast, yeah. That's, so, that was my like, You know, it's not that much more powerful. The resolution in the headset is like pretty much the same uh, if you're just doing regular VR. But the whole, I could rant about this for a while and, and people can read my Twitter thread, but I was baffled by the onboarding. The onboarding made it not clear at all what I was supposed to be using this headset for. Like the first thing that popped up was like, do you want to install all your games? And it's like, I thought this was supposed to be for like work and mixed reality and you're yeah. presenting me with like all my VR games right off the bat. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a longer discussion. Um, I wanted to call quick attention to this device that also recently came out from Vive, I've been using this with the Vive uh, Focus 3. This is a wrist tracker. And on the one hand, this helps with things like occlusion. If you are um, having your hands like pass over each other, which can be a problem traditionally in hand tracking applications. But it can also be used instead of a as a wrist tracker. This can be the equivalent of a Vive tracker, where you can map this to anything, um, a chair or an object or, or in like theater design kind of stuff. I've done like a railing. And um, now, the kind of stuff that you used to need base stations and actual Vive trackers yeah. for to be able to do, now you can do that in a mobile way. So basically you can have your controllers and your hand tracking and this, which means there's a lot more that can be happening inside a totally standalone device, which cool. um, wasn't possible before. So I think that's also just an underutilized um, uh, advantage that Vive has over um, Meta right now. Man, I hope HTC is, is giving us an ad spot, man, like that. <laughs> You, you've been uh, all over, but yeah, that, that's some cool stuff. I, you get to play with all this really awesome HCC stuff, and yeah. <laughs> they—they, they, I remember I saw a demo a while back of their like virtual production, like yeah, Mars. They're like box, mm -hmm. and that was so cool. I was like, I, 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 we all need this. Like, it just, I even if you're not doing virtual production, you know, just being able to drop in a system, yeah. attach all your sensors, everything. And it just handles all the setup. Like I would have loved that back when you know I was giving demos of the Vive. Yeah, you know, just a, a drop-in system that handles all that stuff is awesome. But I mean, when you add in like Genlock and all this other cool stuff, man, so cool. 
Um, yeah. They don't they don't get enough attention for all the cool hardware that they're building in at least in the U. I don't know how it is overseas, uh, but in the U.S. <laughs> it doesn't seem like they get the attention that you know. And maybe that's just part of the the VR community right now. But um, really cool stuff. I remember they came out with the Vive Pro I, and mm -hmm. like there was no one using it. And yeah. I was like, that's so cool. We've all been talking about this. Like we all want eye tracking. We all want to do phobia and rendering and all this other cool stuff. Um, but they were just doing it. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that was about. Yeah, I agree. And I, I understand now like foveated rendering, of course, had this huge promise at the beginning, like, oh my goodness, you're only going to render just what you're looking at. That's going to mean like 300% reductions in the amount of rendering being done. As I understand it practically right now, um, even the best eye tracking with foveated rendering is only giving about a 30% bit of savings because there's still like a fairly wide amount of space that still needs to be rendered to make up for like latency with eye tracking. Yeah. I do want to give a shout out though to on the MetaQuest Pro, um, Red Matter 2, which like I already had seen Red Matter 1 and thought that was the most beautiful Unreal Engine game on a standalone headset ever. Red Matter 2 came out a couple months ago. Oh my oh, God, I even better. But then with the MetaQuest Pro, they did release a proper version with eye tracking and foveated rendering. And it's, it's ungodly, like how, really? how sharp the the materials the lighting the textures uh even the people inside this experience i just can't believe this is all being rendered on device i mean this is the reason why i'm, I'm doing so much with uh cloud streaming is is because i just felt like there was no way you could ever achieve uh yeah. the quality that i was looking for with uh, a standalone device and the folks at i think they're the company's called vertical robot uh what they've done with red matter 2 is is absolutely on an, another level so actually yeah. i actually never finished the first game i think i have it I think I, I started it, but I need to finish it. And I, I actually had no clue that there was a second game out. I have to I have to check that out. Definitely yeah. Yeah. looks even more amazing. <laughs> that's that's hard to believe. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think they're using like a hyper customized version of Unreal, though. Like they've dug into like all the shader I'm code sure. and and changed a whole bunch of stuff. I keep waiting for them to release like a marketplace pack or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that'd be so cool, right? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So. Uh, do we want to move on to some some shout outs for the week? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. After you, sir. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I've been working uh, a lot on, well, a, a bunch of stuff. One of the things that's been catching my eye more and more, and I alluded to this earlier, what are the kind of new AI use cases that are coming about in Unreal Engine? Um, there have been a ton of really interesting projects all over the place from you know, uh, uh, drop in AI, you know, NPC conversation bots, you know, all, all the way to like, you know, AI generation with things like, um, you know, the, the uh, geometry scripting, right. But uh, one of the cool things that um, is interesting, because so the, the, the company I work at, uh, called CoreWeave, we do a lot in media entertainment, which is kind of the stuff I focus on. We also have another side of the house that focuses on AI machine learning stuff. Um, and every once in a while, it's cool when they cross. And mm -hmm. so one of the big things that's been happening uh, more recently has been with stable diffusion, people starting to use it in Unreal Engine. Um, and there's been a few really cool projects that I just have been absolutely baffled by um, how, how, how quickly people took to taking 
this open source project. I guess I should take a step back and kind of introduce people to Stable Diffusion. So if you haven't heard about this, so um, uh, it all started because Google, or sorry, um, uh, Meta, right, released, um, man, I, why am I blanking all of a sudden? Uh, what was their uh, text to image? Oh, sorry, that was OpenAI, wasn't oh, it? Oh, sure, 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 yeah. Um, Dolly. Sorry. Yeah. They released Dolly two or three. I can't remember. And that was this huge improvement of text image. So you put in a prompt and it gives you this fascinating image. I'm sure everyone has kind of seen this to some extent, right? Uh, well, that model, as well as Google's image gen, those models, you know, they belong to the respective companies. So like OpenAI owns Dolly and, you know, image gen is, own, is owned by Google and you kind of needed to sign up on a wait list. And then um, these guys at Stability AI uh, went and trained a, an open source version of a similar model um, using a, a very similar data set as well. And they released it open source um, so that anyone could see the weights, they could see how it was trained. Um, well, maybe not see how it was trained, but like, uh, see how the model works and, and modify it to whatever extent people wanted. Um, and so all of a sudden people are just showing up having taken this tool that, you know, seemed like science fiction. All of a sudden people are just applying it to like everything. And it's been absolutely fascinating. So one of the projects, and I'll throw this in a shout out, uh, is by a guy, Jake Rice, who is a, an effects, uh, actually a VFX supervisor at Disney, according to his Twitter profile. Um, but he was working on a concept that I was really fascinated with, which is, okay, um, back in the day when you were making materials for games, especially when you were just learning, um, it was always, and, and this was pre-mega scans and pre a lot of this like kind of more kit bashing stuff that I think is actually really awesome today. Like, there's no point in going out and, and building a bunch of materials if you can just like kit bash it from mega scans, in my opinion. But um, back then that didn't exist. So what you would do is you would, if you had like basic Photoshop knowledge, you'd go in and you try your best to like make a texture. And then there was software uh, like um, Crazy Bump is one that I ran into uh, uh, back in the day that would take that and it would spit out things like normal maps and um, you know, maybe displacement maps. And it was just using kind of like stupid processing to say, okay, here's the contrast in this image. I'm going to assume that means like a change in depth or, you know, anything like that. But what I've been interested in is, okay, like let's say you have this text to image. What happens if you like feed in a UV map and tell it, I would like a, you know, a surface that is, you know, a moss covered rock can you get something out where it actually, can you train it at least to get something out where you have a material that is cohesive to the UV maps that you apply, right? So you take the topology of an object, you can even encode like 3D space into the image. We talked about actually image uh, um, packing in our previous episode, kind of encoding data in, in image data. Well, you could take that, let's see, if you could feed that all in, could you get something cohesive? Well, he's this guy, Jake Rice, is working on it, and he's been posting some cool updates more recently um, about some of the results he's gotten, um, and it's been really exciting. Um, I, I'm really kind of 
pumped for when this is a, a tool because instead of kind of even going to mega scans and getting something, or maybe you use mega scans as a starter, you then say specifically what you want. Like, okay, I would like a, a mossy rock with, um, you know, a smooth velvet texture on top as a, you know, like you could kind of go crazy and you can even do faces maybe. I don't know, because at the end of the day, like a meta human, you can unwrap the face into this like ungodly, you know, terrifying UV map. And maybe that works. Like maybe you could train it. And I figured, oh, well, we could probably train this thing on Megascans data. You know, we could take all the, the, the awesome topology and models and everything that, you know, has been, you know, generated and put up for free in Megascans. You could take that, feed it through and use those as training data. And I, I really want to do this more. Um, but he's out there actually doing it, and that's really cool to see. So that's that's my first shout. I, I'm gonna pull up another one. I'm trying to find a second shout out, but you, you go ahead while I while I do that. Sure. Uh, let me do a couple rapid fire. First, in response to what you're talking about, there's a, a great Unreal Engine plugin called Promethean AI. Uh, comes from a guy named Andrew Maximov, who I met at um, Total Chaos over in Sofia, Bulgaria, back in 2019. Uh, Promethean AI is a, a an AI system that allows you to just tell Unreal Engine to make a bedroom of a kid from the 80s who loves you know, XYZ and blah, there's an option for that. If you go to the Promethean AI website, there's things yeah. like how to build stranger things in 15 minutes um, and some VR experiences and just all sorts of cool stuff. So check that out. Um, I also wanna give a quick shout out to um, Jonathan Windbrush, who I got to meet at Unreal Fest, really excellent Unreal Engine educator and he right now is doing a series called unreal engine five in five days and it is uh, an absolutely excellent like getting started with unreal engine day one through five uh just breaking down some of the key things that really anyone might be interested in knowing and kind of like the tips that jacob and i were talking about earlier from chris murphy even if you already do know unreal engine i bet if you watch a little bit of jonathan's series here you're going to see things that you had no idea were even great so never never a bad idea to go back to the the fundamentals and just see if there's anything you've missed in uh building up the foundation of your knowledge in unreal for sure Cool. I, I found my second shout out here. So there's been another really awesome project um, by this guy um, on Twitter at Scotty Fox TTV. Mm -hmm. um, and he's been doing stable diffusion VR. So he's oh. been generating um, 360 um, mapped images in stable diffusion. And he also has a few experiments where he does live diffusion. So you'll be looking around and it will be actively reprocessing your viewpoint. Um, and it's, it's, it's an acid trip is what it is. Like it's, it's nuts. Uh, you know, everything's warping and, and kind of re result. It, it's really so, so cool. I would definitely recommend you check out his profile. Um, cause yeah, there it's just fascinating to see. And, and it's just a huge potential for like, just the ability to even prototype a virtual space, you know, in the sense where you have just a rough idea, you want to get some ideas. Like if you could just snap through like a dozen spaces, get an idea for a theme or, or a layout, like I think that would be an incredible tool. That's super cool. Yeah. 
Um, a couple more. Uh, let me give a shout out to uh, William Fauché, who really needs no introduction. He, he's been a, a skyrocketing rock star in the Unreal Engine community. But it's been a while since he released a video. And now I know why, because a couple of days ago, he came out with one called Capturing Lofoten in Unreal Engine 5. Um, this is a uh, photogrammetry reality capture uh, walkthrough of a very in-depth project he did actually flying um, over to, oof, I, I'm trying to remember where he actually went. Maybe it was like Iceland or something like that. Um, and scanning, or by scanning, I mean taking like hundreds and hundreds of, of raw high-res uh, pictures of a couple different places. And what I love about this video too is he goes through all the mistakes he made, like not having enough SD cards, uh, trying to capture something that was too reflective, um, realizing that it was too cloudy or not too cloudy, too sunny. And there were too many shadows to do what he originally wanted to do. So you really get to see his whole process. And the result is still a stunning piece of Unreal Engine cinematography, but it's very cool to understand that it's quite different from what he was originally planning and that there are all these different steps along the way that he had to go through in order to get that final result. So I, I really appreciate detailed walkthroughs like that. Again, that's called Capturing Lofoten in Unreal Engine 5. Awesome. How do you spell that word you're saying in the middle? L-O-F-O-T-E-N. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll have it in the description on YouTube. Um, and depending on where you're listening, you'll probably find some of that stuff there. Um, yeah, for, for those of you who do listen on a podcast platform, I recommend if you want to like walk, you know, run through these shout outs, you go to YouTube. YouTube just has, a, you know, the description section is much more conducive for uh, more detail like this. So uh, definitely check it out. And while you're there, subscribe. Yeah, do that. <laughs> you know, why not? It doesn't hurt. Awesome. Well, this has been quite the recap. I'm sure there's more that we've just completely forgotten to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> um, so many cool features in 5.1 that I didn't even know existed. Um, so many cool things I'm excited uh, for. But, um, you know, yeah, that's that's all we can cover in an hour and 13 minutes, apparently. I know. Um, I'll give a shout out to a few things I hope we can cover in the next episode. One is the complete overhaul of media in Unreal Engine 5.1. Yeah. So much easier to deal with videos now. I think that's worth diving into a little more. Um, I also want to talk a little bit more about the, the looking glass and what a really cool device this is for Unreal Engine 5. Um, my uh, Unreal Engine or my Unreal Fest talk will hopefully be out by the next time we do an episode. So I'd love to be able to point people to that. It will be on the Unreal Engine YouTube channel. Um, also this week, I uh, managed to procure an RTX 4090 oh, and yeah, an RTX A6000. Um, I thought it was going to be an RTX 6000 with the Ada Lovelace architecture. It's a, a regular RTX A6000. Oh, I didn't and know I'm going to be installing both of those in my office in New York City and um, running a bunch of tests in Unreal Engine and VR. So I'm sure we'll have something fun to talk about uh, there. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're just going to hear me being salty because I want one. Um, awesome. Yeah. You can come well, to my office, Jacob. <laughs> yeah, it's, it kind of sounds like I, I kind of need to. I got to try out all this stuff. Um, yeah. Well, anyways, folks, we will catch you on the next episode. Until then, like, subscribe, rate, whatever it is. Um, it really... You know, we appreciate it. We apologize. There's been such a, a wide gap between episodes. <laughs> this thing is hard. We didn't realize <laughs> how hard it was to keep on a production schedule. 
Um, but uh, hopefully uh, in the coming weeks, we can kind of get back to a, a more normal schedule, at least until like another conference, right? Like, I don't know if you're going to CES or any of these others, but I might, I, we'll I mean, a preview, a preview, I, I can't say anything, but I might be at CES uh, because of something new on the way that, you know, cool. Uh, I might be a part of. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, is that uh, the back room talk? Oh, no. <laughs> That's speculation, <laughs> by the way. I don't know. I, I yeah, don't know. I hear you. Um, um, anyways. Yeah. And um, oh, and, and also, you, those of us who are, are watching us or listening might notice that we, uh, we're doing kind of a different platform every week. We tried, you know, StreamYard and Zoom and um, all sorts of different things. We did our Azure Connect episode as well. Yeah. Um, and what we are going to be doing soon, I hopefully by our next episode, is using a really cool studio setup um, from Light Twist. And there was like a little screenshot of our, our last tests with that in my Unreal Fest talk. But I think that's going to be really exciting. And, and we're already very grateful for everyone over at Light Twist who's been helping us get up and running with that. So uh, looking forward to showing that off more. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Well, we'll catch you guys <laughs> next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye.